0: Matthew chapter 11, I'm going to limit um, the introductory uh, because this, what, fifth message I think we've had in this chapter, I'm not going to try to go back to the John the Baptist section. We've kind of rehit that two or three times in our introductions. Are you guys, everybody ready to submit to the Word of God today? That'll be the key. We're going to have to line ourselves up under what God says and receive what God says as authoritative, otherwise you're going to get left behind. Uh, Today we'll get a little theological, and that's all right. Uh, The Holy Spirit's going to help us. Uh, I did not go back to read verse 20 to 24. That was the second half of last week's message. But if you have your Bible open, which is always recommended here, even though you'll see the text on the screen at the beginning of the message, you're not going to see it throughout, so it's best to have your own copy Notice verse 20. We will go back and read that. So if you look at that with your eyes, the Bible says about Jesus, then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done. He denounced them, it says, because they did not repent. And if you were here last week or have gone back and listened to last week's message, you know... What was said, and there's judgment in that, and there's a judgment day coming, and and there's going to be Hades, as mentioned in this text, and there are degrees. Hell is horrible. It's eternal. Um, It's it's permanent. It's real. But there are levels of the punishment in there, and he talks about really those who are going to have the worst level of punishment are those who have had the most exposure to truth, spiritual truth. So without going into all of that, did you catch what Jesus just said? He denounces three cities. I'm not going to read that. Their names are Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. Now watch. He denounces three cities because this is where most of his mighty works were done. Apparently, all the other places where he did miracles, add them all up. And then what he does in these three cities, which are very close to each other within a day's walk, there were more in those three cities than all the other places combined. So here's the key especially those of you that were here last week, Jesus' point here is if the miracles that were done in these three cities in his day had been done in the ancient cities of Tyre and Sidon and even way back to Sodom. So 360 years before this, there was Tyre and Sidon, and God judged them because of their sin. 2,000 years before this, there was Sodom. God judged it because of its sin and arrogance as well. Now he's talking in his day to three cities that had the majority of his miracles. Now remember, he's going to say, if the miracles done in you had been done in these three cities, they would have remained. They would have repented. He's rebuking and denouncing them because they did not repent. So let's put that together again. I'm getting ready to read verse 25 in just a moment. Think with me. I don't know if this hit you guys last week. It hit me last week. So, Lord, when Jesus says something, that is a fact. That's the way it is. Here's what he says. If the miracles that were done here, they were done there, had been done here, they would have repented. But they weren't done there. And thus they didn't repent. And they received judgment. They were done here, but they still didn't repent. And they received judgment. Had they been done... I can do this over and over. Had they been done here... All right. If you had a private conversation, not getting out of bounds and not being disrespectful, but if you had a private conversation with the Lord based off what He just said, wouldn't you want to say, so you're saying this is a fact, they're done here, they don't repent. If they would have been done here, they would have repented. Then why? Don't say it out loud. Did you think that already? I thought that. Well, Lord, I mean, if that's really the case, then why? Anyway, I don't want to say it. Now look at verse 25. Here's our text. At that time, having just said this about these three cities that do not repent, that had this exposure to miracles, at that time, Jesus declared. Verse 25 and 26 are going to be a prayer, and apparently he's saying this prayer out loud. It's personal between him and the Father. You'll see that. But it's spoken out loud. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father. We're already starting to get some doctrine. Jesus, this man from Nazareth, prays a prayer and says, I thank you, Father. Don't, don't, go, don't go ahead in the verse. Stay where we're at. I thank you, Father. Well, who's he calling his father? Who's he talking about? What? Lord. Lord of heaven and earth. And what is he doing? He's calling the Lord of heaven and earth his father. At that time Jesus declared, "I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding. I thank you, I thank you that you have hidden These things from the wise and understanding. And, that's not all he's thanking him for. And revealed them to little children. I thank you that you have hidden these things, having just rebuked these cities, that had the miracles but didn't respond to them how we think they should have. Why didn't they repent? I thank you, Father, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them. To little children. Well, Why would God? Verse 26. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. And now having stopped the prayer, Jesus goes into a declaration. First, some commentary, and then you'll see an invitation. Verse 27. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. Back to verse 25. I thank you, Father, you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Verse 27. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And let the Bible say what it says here. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And... Anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Oh boy. Here we go. <laughs> like, ah! But then verse 28. Having just said that, Jesus says, come to me all. Like, if you're thinking, you're already having problems. Now, if you're not thinking, you're already wondering about where you're going to eat lunch. You're checked out. I feel for you. But if you're paying attention, Jesus says, come to me. Having just said, no one knows the Son but the Father, and no one knows the Father but the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle, the idea of meek. I have all this power, but I don't just bowl you over with it. I use it for your benefit. If you'll come to me and rest in me, and then after having done those two things, take my yoke upon you, and you'll learn from me, you'll learn that I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. The idea there literally means my yoke is well-fitting it literally it is tailor-made to fit you for my yoke is easy and my burden is light your burden's not light the burden you've been carrying is not light my burden is light would you notice two things with me we could have made three and separated verse 27 from the two previous we'll do them all as kind of one idea and this, we'll spend more time in the first three verses uh, because they are so large. And, and we're not going to hit every word. I'll go ahead and tell you. I'm going to go ahead and tell you. We're not going to hit all the words. There's just too much. And I was going to split it. And I'm like, Jeff, if you keep splitting stuff, we will never get out of Matthew. Uh, I, will, I will resign in Matthew. And I don't want to do that. Lord willing. Notice two things. Number one. Undeniable and praiseworthy mysteries of God. Undeniable and praiseworthy mysteries of God, look if we look with me again, if you would, please, at verse twenty-five. At that time, again, having just said what he said about these three cities and the other three cities and the miracles, at that time Jesus declared, "I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will." If I were to say, write down three doctrines that are already being touched on just in these verses, do you already feel and know which doctrines that are very evident? They're not exhausted, but they're very evident. Obviously, we're seeing already the deity of Christ, the one and only Son of God by nature is a human being on earth. Literally what we're talking about is God in the flesh. That's what we have. So we're already touching on the deity of Christ. Next to that, you guys are already thinking if we were in a class form, you'd raise your hand and somebody would say, the Trinity is being alluded to in this passage. Certainly the Trinity is being alluded to. And then obviously the underlying big one, and you can call it a lot of things, is God's sovereignty. So y'all feel those three Those three great doctrines. You have the deity of Christ, and you have the Trinity being spoken of, and then you have the sovereignty of God. Several things there. I remember reading J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God, so many times that I just typed this out and didn't even put in my notes that, that he's the one who spoke it catch this, on this deity of Christ and this trinity. Watch this. I'm not going to die here this morning, but I'm going to throw it out because it's in the text, all right? He writes, there is plurality. There is plurality within the unity of the Godhead. In other words, there is plurality. There's multiple persons. We just sang a song a while ago. Father, Son, Spirit, three in one, not three as one, three in one. Just as you guys have a body, a soul, and a spirit, what we're gonna say here is there is one God. There's only one God. There's only one you, but you have a body, soul, and spirit. Though there's only one God, there is still distinction within the Trinity. Jesus is not saying, I thank me. That I have hidden these things and that I have revealed these He's not thanking himself. He's talking to the Father. So there's an allusion to the Trinity and there's an allusion to the deity of Christ. He's putting himself in that level with the Father. And in verse 27 is, he says, I have control of everything. And then he calls Father Lord. Now guys, this is extremely important. Jesus calls his father the lord of heaven and the lord of earth we do the same thing i do that you do that we'll pray that my question this morning is do we know what the word lord as it's being applied in this text i know there's different intensities of the use of the word lord but do we really understand what this word lord this usage of jesus is doing and furthermore do we really believe that he is lord you say well what does lord mean what does it mean in your mind When the Bible says, when Jesus says, Lord of heaven and earth, as he's talking to the heavenly father, what does that mean to you? Lord, guys, in this text means, this is important, absolute master, absolute master, absolute ruler, meaning no one is above. No one can challenge. No one can question. He doesn't have to answer or count to anyone. It means this. He has all authority to do anything he pleases And I say that and all of God's people are in here saying, yes, I believe that. That's true. And then we go back and read verse 25 and 27 and we start struggling with his lordship. And that brings us to the idea of the sovereignty of God. Again, if I had time, you guys would respond. God has revealed himself to all of mankind all around the world in at least two ways. Y'all know what those are, right? Creation. Speaks of God and we're born with a conscience. So God has revealed himself to all. But then we look at verse number 25 and Jesus says that the Father has concealed, the Father has hidden certain pieces of information. What are those things? It is is too many things for me to preach or to list. But if I don't go even outside of just the context of this, here's some things that I learned that the Father, according to verse 25, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from these people and you've revealed them to these people and so what are these things i know number one that the significance of jesus's miracles have been hidden from some people The miracles weren't done in this group. They received judgment. They were done in this group. They don't repent. They receive judgment. And Jesus is giving us a clue. The significance. Oh, we enjoy the healings. We enjoy the miracles. It's awesome. It's great to see It's super impressive. But they never understood the real significance of what it said about this man. Which takes us to this. They had hidden from them the true identity of Jesus. And then when we bring in verse 27, we also learn what are these things that are hidden Literally, it means even the, listen, the spiritual truths that are needed to be saved. And Jesus is acknowledging, some translations say, Praise you, Father. Here the ESV says, I thank you. It is such a strong acknowledgement, it is praise and thanksgiving that. He's restricted and hidden, this knowledge from some people. Again, knowledge, the significance of his miracles, the the, the, true identity of his person, and even these things that are needed to be saved. And we look at that and we go, what does this mean? Why would this happen? Today's message, by the way, is not going to delve into the why. If you want to know the why, go back and look at our Roman series. Um, We spent some time there. You say I ain't got time to do that. I want to do my own thing. All right, honestly, I want to challenge you. You say this this is going to bug me. I want I want, to, I want to actually go after this. Why does this? Why does God do this? Verse number twenty seven, verse twenty six says because it was according to His gracious will. I want to, I want to know more than that. If I could encourage you to do one thing, do the following: in in the month of September you have thirty days. On one day, read Romans 8, slowly. Let it say what it says. The next day, read Romans 9. The next day, read Ephesians 1 and half of, of chapter 2. Then on the next day, read Romans 8, slowly. The, the, the fifth day, read Romans 9, slowly. The sixth day, read Ephesians 1 and half of chapter 2. Just do that over and over and over so that by the end of the month, you will have gone slowly through all All those three chapters, ten times each. And then I think you would understand at least God's reasoning why he does this. Hint, it has to do with his glory. Confession, it is beyond our ability to understand. This is part of the mystery of God that just makes him a fearful being. But he is sovereign. And Jesus alludes to it. And Jesus doesn't pull any punches. And Jesus doesn't make apologies for this. In fact, he's thanking the Father for it. Look again, if you would, verse 25, at that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. I'm going to give you a couple of notes. It's actually one note, and then I'm going to spend just a moment talking about it, okay? I believe that as we're looking at verse 25, even if not explicitly in the text, implicitly in the text and carried out in the New Testament, I know we're kind of using unusual language this morning, but I'm praying that you will try your best to pay attention that the Holy Spirit will do what only He can do. I don't have the ability to teach this this morning, but I think there are at play at least two dynamics, and if you would, write these down. Here are the two dynamics. They're at play, again, either explicitly or implicitly within the text, and here it goes. There is a refusal to know God by some. But equally with that, there is also the difficulty, and I could say the inability, the difficulty. I could even have used a stronger word, and I might regret that I didn't. The impossibility of knowing God by all. I need to say that again. Because I know you're writing it. But even as you're writing it, you go back home and think about this. In verse 25, there is in this text a, an acknowledgment, an allusion to the refusal to know God, a refusal to know God by some. But then there's this inability to know God, this difficulty to know God by all people. What does that have to do? I read a few people about this text this week, and one was uh, MacArthur, and he kind of summed up, I think, maybe best for what a few took a stance. Is everybody ready? He offers the following. You see verse 25 Lord of heaven and earth, I thank you that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding. From the wise and the understanding. You've hidden these things from the wise and the understanding. Or the wise and the intelligent. MacArthur writes the following. I'm going to give it and then I'm going to break it down into its three parts. Catch this. He writes, the wise and intelligent sarcastically refers to those who are intelligent in their own eyes. And who rely on human wisdom and disregard gods. Say that again. He says the wise and intelligent, that God hides, hides these things from, he says the wise and intelligent sarcastically, in other words, it's not God saying, well, they are really wise. They're really intelligent. They have a lot of understanding. No one has that compared to God. But again, I think there is an aspect of this where, oh, yeah, Father, you've hidden these from the wise. They think they're wise. From the intelligent, he's saying it sarcastically refers to those who are intelligent in their own eyes, that's one, who rely on human wisdom, number two, and who disregard God's, unquote, wisdom. And I think that is a play. And I realize this is, man, you said Jeff, this seems like it should be a Monday night Bible college class, and we got to go where the text takes us. We have to go where the text takes us. This text, this this quote from MacArthur is certainly not inspired, but I think he's onto something. So watch. There are some people who really, and, and you got to check your heart. Everybody, check your heart. They really do see themselves as intelligent. Guys, I'm not, I literally, I understand if we all take tests, some are going to measure higher than others. But in your heart, if there's something in your heart that says, actually, I am, I'm pretty high. I think I'm one of the most intelligent people. In fact, in the circles that I move in, I might be the most intelligent. If that is in your heart, you're in trouble. You are in trouble. You need to rid that out of your life. You say, but Jeff, what if it's just a fact? Then let the facts be the facts. You got to keep your heart humble before the Lord. You don't think, oh, I can, I can move with the lofty people. I can hang with them. Stop it. Cut it out. Rid your heart of that. Maybe worse than that is this. He says they rely on human wisdom. And then he says they disregard God's. Here's how I envision that in my mind. Do you ever meet people who call themselves a Christian, but they rarely read the Bible? But boy, they are up to date on all the findings and articles and research and websites of these smart people out there who are giving their findings. Have you ever met them? They say they're a They are not in the Word of God hardly ever. In fact, when it comes to the Word of God, it gets a nice little pat in their mind. But boy, you let someone come out with some findings in science or some other field, engineers like, they are super excited. And they give full weight to that and a little pat on the back to the Bible. That's wrong. That is absolutely wrong you got a problem, and they're like, I like to read these people because they're kind of on my level, and, and we're right. Man, I wasn't planning on saying this, but can I just warn you? You know, back in the 19, early 1900s, they would learn things, and they got super excited about stuff, new findings, new facts, just like we do today. And they, many of them have since been disproved. Well, well, no, no, not today, Jeff. We we really, we have the research and we have understanding. The stuff they're finding, it's factual. If it goes against this word of God, it is not factual. Give it a little time and it too will be disproved. This is where it's at. We put ourselves up under the word of God. So we have two dynamics. You wrote them a while ago. Let me repeat them. There's a refusal to know God. So he kind of took that stance. It's these people who are arrogant in their own eyes. Okay, it's going to cost you. But I also acknowledge this. There's a whole other dynamic that you say, well, Jeff, I know some people who don't think they're all that. In fact, they know they're not all of that, and the test scores show it, and they just struggle, and they don't walk around like that. What about them? All of us have a sin nature. So we're talking about revelation. Revelation's about God. Revelation's about how to be saved. This is important. All of us have a sin nature that absolutely makes it impossible for us, any of us, to understand spiritual things apart from God. So I've just made two groups. Yes, there are some that refuse knowledge of God, but all of us have an impossible task of trying to know God on our own. None of us can make sense of these things. So Jeff, where do you get such ideas? Well, right there in Matthew number one. Go with me if you would. The only other text we'll go to Turning is 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Would you flip over there and we'll hit just a, couple of, a few verses here and then a couple of verses in chapter 2. But it ties in, I think, closely with what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 11. Yes, some refuse to know God. But all have difficulty and an inability and even impossibility of knowing God apart from Him helping us. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 talk about how our we are born in sin and our spirits were dead. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. Look quickly, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Look at verse 21. I'm gonna skip around a little bit. You'll have to go back and read it and see: did that guy even read it in the right context? Verse 21. For since In the wisdom of God, he has it. For since in the wisdom of God, the world, that's mankind, did not know God through wisdom. Since in the wisdom of God and his eternal counsels, in the way God wanted to do things, he's Lord of heaven and earth, the world, he made a rule, the world did not know God through wisdom. That's not the way to find God. It pleased God through the folly, what's foolishness. Through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. It is God decided in his wisdom the way to know me will not be through wisdom. It will not be the smartest of the people, they're the ones that will know me. He says, that God has chosen that the way to know him would be through what some people see as this folly of what is preached. Back in verse number 18, not on the screen. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. People that are dying, I'm telling you right now, they hear this whole idea, hold on. There is a God, okay, there is a God. He's holy and righteous. We sin and go against His laws on purpose. We break those. He has to judge us. But instead of judging us, He becomes flesh, becomes a man so He could take our sin and die on a cross and that was enough to satisfy His wrath and His justness against our sin. And then He gives away salvation for free if we'll just believe it, (laughs) That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Yeah, you're perishing. It's stupid to you because you're perishing. That's the way God's decided to save the world. It's the only way. Quick thought before I read verse 26. I wish we'd have made this a note. Listen carefully. You can't think your way to God. You must believe your way to God as He invites you And speaks to you. You can't think your way to God. You must believe your way to God. Well, Jeff, I don't really know that that's true. Look down at verse 26. Paul says to this Corinthians, I actually had the opportunity to walk around on these grounds of of some of the ruins and the rebuilt ruins and very impressive city there in Greece. Verse number 26, Paul tells this group of Christians, and perhaps he would say it to us at Graceview. Watch this. For consider your calling. Hey, Corinthians, hey, Graceview ends. That's not a word. Look around. Look around. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. You say, well, there's some here. There's some watching online. Okay, a few. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Uh, if you're in the queen's family, like really, really close, okay, let's talk. I mean, I'm not really that into that, but that'd be interesting to meet you. You say, there's nobody in here like that. Right, that's what I'm saying. Verse 27. We cannot escape these words. So Paul is saying, just look around. You guys don't fit these categories of those high worldly standards. Verse 27. But God chose, uh oh, God chose what is foolish in the world. Talking about the kind of people to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world. These are people that don't have a lot of power. What is weak in the world? To shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not, like totally insignificant, like don't matter at all, to bring to nothing things that are. Why does God do it this way? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. If he only saves the powerful and the high and the adored and the intelligent, I mean, the super, super smart, if he only does that, then verse 29 is hinting, they would want to boast. Well, of course God saved us. We're this category. He says he doesn't do it that way for that reason. Now look at verse 30. Here it comes again. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus. Because of who? Him, the Father. God's the reason that you're in Christ Jesus. You say, I'm a Christian. I'm in Christ. You're there because of the Father. Christ Jesus. We could get lost right here. We're not going to. Christ who became to us wisdom from God. He's the wisdom from God, not us. Righteousness. He became righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Again, why does God do it this way? So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I wrote myself a little note. (laughs) Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. In other words, we're not as good as them. We're not as good as them. Look what God has done. <laughs> Look what God has done. You're not that powerful. You're not that intelligent. You're not that righteous and holy. You're not well born. Look what God has done because we sure didn't do anything. Skip down to verse 13 of chapter 2. Paul tells the Corinthians, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom. Bartlett can't do it. We impart this in words. It's got to be, there's a practical side, but words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, capital S. The Spirit, taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. What does that mean? Verse 14, the natural person, that's the way all of us have been born, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. The natural person does not, why doesn't he? they are folly to him and he is not able. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. That's why I say, yes, some refuse the Lord, but none of us can understand the Lord and come to the Lord. None of us. Jesus says, Father, I thank you that you've hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and you've revealed them to the little children. I'm going to say something and if Certain people fit in this category, it's probably going to stir a little emotion. But all I would say is look around. The world's most intellectually gifted people. I'm not talking about, oh, they're smart. I mean, the world's most intellectually gifted people often struggle to grasp even the basic truths of God and God's word. I mean, they really struggle. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm talking about the people who have like the 180 IQ. I'm talking about they just like off the charts, 180, 185. I mean, the, 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 the ladies that can just knock it out of the park, right? And these are, frankly, some of the people that we're looking to to find some cures to this pandemic. Like, hey, Oxford, come through for us. We need you. Hey, over to the smart places, wherever our colleges are, various places around the world. Around the country, we, we need you. And these, and these people just have brilliant minds compared to each other, not compared to God. But, boy, they will really struggle to get. You say, Jeff, what do you mean basic truths? Like literally? Here's, how, here's, here's the article of most, many of them's life. They come into the world and they believe there's a God. And then, I uh, no longer believe there's a God. And then every now and then, by the end of their life, they'll arc back up, and everybody gets all excited. Did you hear so-and-so? Right before they died, they said they really kind of think there's a pretty good chance there really is a God. And we're like, glad you finally made it to the party, man. That's how you spent your life. They struggle with just the easiest, most basic things. It's really, really hard. Guys, I'm talking about people. Science, natural. I mean, I'm not talking about if you work in the science field. I'm talking about the people who make the standards and write the books and the articles. I mean, the ones who, you understand, there are people who the things of science just come to them easily mathematics, engineering. You see a field, they see a structure that has never been built and all kinds of systems in that thing. I mean, it just flows through their mind. I'm not talking about the guy that goes out and actually makes it happen. I mean, these people just see psychology to study the human mind and look at behaviors and make projections based on it just, yeah, it just happens naturally for them. Music over here's a person that just works and works and struggles and they get pretty good at music. This person over here by age six, is just like natural, easy, simple finances, technology, zeros and ones. What does that mean? There are people like zeros and ones. You can do all the things. It's, it's the internet. And I'm like, shut up. Get out of here with me. that. It makes no sense. As long as I can turn the button on and it comes on, that's all I need to know. And then I like, no, no you got to understand. No, I can't understand those things. Your brain works different than mine. Jeff, what's your point? They get all these things, but they cannot understand on their own the vital truths that it takes to be saved, this other stuff, easy to them, natural. What you have to work for, I mean, they, they, they're writing the new stuff. They're coming up with the new findings and the new formulas. But when it comes to things, of, I mean, basic things. You say, Jeff, what are these basic things that we need for eternal life? A knowledge that God is, that God is holy, that God is not just holy, but he's just. And because he's holy and we sin, he has to punish us and he has to judge our sin but he's also loving and that's where they like disconnect like he can't be just and pour out judgment and be loving we say well the bible says he is and that God became a human being Jesus Christ and that he died and that's where we lose him again and they really struggle right there and he died on a cross and he rose again and he gives away salvation for free to anyone who will accept it by faith these are the things you have to have and it's like they can't do it it's a real struggle let me read for time's sake a couple of notes No matter how smart a person is, no matter how smart a person may be, no matter, I'm telling you, they cannot just determine to read the Bible and understand it. I mean, the smartest person in the world cannot say, you know what, I'm going to take 2021, I'm going to lay my other stuff aside, I'm going to read this book, and I'm going to understand it, and I'm going to get it, and I'm going to be an expert at theology. Okay, listen. They can read this book and they can learn a lot of facts and they can even find some truths and go read some other theologians and smart people and learn the language and even be able to start debating. See, I mastered it in one year. I'm a theologian now because they can just devour the books. They may be able to do that, but listen carefully. I'm going to promise you what they cannot do. They cannot make these truths fill their heart. They cannot make these truths delight their heart and grip their heart. They cannot make these truths bring about faith and, I mean, trust in these things. You can't do it. You cannot decide, I am going to conquer the Bible in 2021. You cannot do it apart from the Lord's help. He must do it. It requires faith, and faith is a gift. And this is where the disconnect happens. It requires faith in something that they can't see and can't touch and can't analyze it. You're just going to have to take God's word for it. That is the only way. Praise the Lord. There are a few in that category that the Lord gives faith and they come to salvation. But I want to be honest with you. This is going to sound, really? Those few have a disadvantage that they have to overcome. It is a disadvantage In the spirit world. Paul almost missed it. Jesus had to invade his world. Because Paul who is in that category. Thought he had it all figured out. So just before I hit this other part of verse 25. Got to keep moving. Watch this. There is a refusal by some. To know God. But at the same time there is also a hiding We can't escape verse 25. There is a hiding on God's part. There's a refusal, but there's also a hiding. And every now and then you'll meet someone, and some are right now being tempted to do this, or some who've probably looked into this more. Here's the temptation to make those one and the same. Well, Jeff, I've read this, and and really all this is is this, this hiding on God's part is really their refusal. It's their refusal. It's one and the same. Guys, if it's one and the same, then why even use the language of God hiding something? There's no reason to use that language. If that's all it is, then all God has to say is, I offer salvation. If you refuse it, then you just refused it. And yes, people refuse it. But behind all of that, this is taking place. God is hiding some information. And right now, I realize we've got some college students who perhaps have never thought about this. We've got some high school students. We've got some fairly new Christians. Some folks who maybe if you don't read the Bible and let it say what it says right now, you're really struggling with what I'm saying. And you're probably getting mad at me. And all I'm doing is saying what the text says. I'm telling you. But don't get lost there. Look at verse 25. Let's don't just die on this hidden, the hidden these things from. Don't just get Lost right there. Keep moving. Jesus says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, and we need to give equal weight and and gratitude to this, and reveal them to little children. Quick hint. Little children. It is not about age. It's about attitude. Who are these little children? It's not just little, like, five-year-olds and six-year-olds. It is being like a five- or a six-year-old in your attitude toward the Lord. Write this down. Who do the little children represent? They represent those who are like Jesus' disciples, not just the apostles, but Jesus' disciples of all ages. Who? This is key. They have a teachable spirit, a teachable spirit to receive what God says as true. No matter what God says, if it's in His Word, we're going to let it say that, and they receive that as true. Even if something is wild in their day as God becoming flesh and dying on a cross, Those with a teachable spirit will go there if that's what the Word of God says. Many in that day would struggle with that, and they were lost. Barclay helps us here by actually tying the two thoughts together. I think I've given you enough time to write those blanks. Barclay writes the following. Putting the two together, notice. He says that Jesus, quote, with me? Hang here. He says that Jesus, quote, is very far from condemning intellectual power. That's not what's happening. Well, I scored 158. I guess God hates my guts. <laughs> Barclay is super intelligent as well. He says Jesus, quote, is very far from condemning intellectual power. What he is condemning is intellectual pride. Later on. It is not cleverness which shuts out, it is pride. Watch this. He's writing this. It is not stupidity which admits, you're as dumb as a rock, I'm gonna save you. (laughs) That's not what it is. He writes, it's not cleverness which shuts out, it is pride. It's not stupidity which admits, it's humility. Jesus is not connecting Ignorance and faith. He's connecting lowliness and faith. Little children. Little children. Which category are you? Is your attitude in your heart? I'm pretty well sure I think I'm the smartest person in the room. And I don't really know a whole lot. God might or might not exist. If he does, I'll figure it out later. You're in a horrible way. You must be lowly like a child. God hates intellectual pride. God hates moral pride. Look how good I am. Look how smart I am. You're not going to be able to get saved trying to bring that into heaven. Quickly look at verse 26. We're going to be very brief on verse 26 because we were so long on 25. We were the longest on 25 than any of the other verses, obviously. Verse 26. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. What if you read that 10 times? What word seems odd? I praise you, I thank you, Father, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Thank you that you've hidden them from them and you've revealed it to them. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Which word seems odd? Anybody offer? Gracious. Did y'all read that? And if you're thinking with me, you're probably thinking, Hold on, how can that be gracious if God is withholding? God is hiding spiritual perception from some... And he's giving it to others. How is that gracious? Let me give you a quick answer to that with a warning. You're not going to like the answer. Say, Jeff, how is that gracious? If you're taking notes, write this down. God's will is gracious because he, this is important, he only owes any of us justice. He only owes any of us justice. He only owes justice. Justice, which equals judgment for all. Watch. Some have some things hidden, and others had some things revealed. That don't seem gracious. It is gracious if we'll step back and realize that God only owes any of us justice as a just God. And we realize if we get justice because we've all sinned willfully and we have a sin nature, then it is judgment for everybody, judgment for all. In fact, to finish the note, anything above that is grace. What is that? Judgment for all. Anything above judgment for all is grace. About three years ago, I made a statement when we were going through Romans, somewhere along these lines, not a direct quote. We can't understand grace until we truly realize that God doesn't have to save anyone. You can't, we, I'm not gonna get grace. I'm not gonna understand. That is the baseline. That's the baseline. The baseline is God doesn't have to save. He's Lord of heaven and earth. He can do what he wants. No one can challenge him, call him into court, accuse him, convict him. The baseline is God does not have to save anyone. Anything above that, anyone that he saves, that's grace. And Jesus says, This is your gracious will, Father. This is where I have to return to what I said last week. So last week, I said that this Word of God is the most trustworthy way that God reveals Himself and declares truth about Him. But I warned you, all through this life, if you will keep studying it, I promise, I do. I'm in a section right now, obviously. If you will study it, there's always going to be things in this that you may not like. You may not like it. Little did I know, I promise I didn't know, I hadn't looked that far ahead, I had no idea this week we would be hitting one of those areas. And we pointed out how we respond... To the areas in the Word of God where God is revealing things about Himself, how we respond to the areas that we don't necessarily like is crucial. Here's what you can't do. You can't just start constructing in your own mind your version of God that goes against what He's revealing. If you do, you're not going to get the real God. We have to take the real God as He reveals Himself and just let Him say what He wants to say about Himself. Then we are to receive that. I realize we read a passage like verse 25 and verse 27 in particular, and here's what we start thinking. But I can't imagine, I can't imagine a God that would do that or be that way. Did you hear what you just said? I can't imagine. I don't like to imagine. Right, we like to construct a God that is likable. And he's usually going to be a whole lot like me. What I think is good, that's how, (sighs) I'm almost done with this verse. Jesus says, "No one knows the Father but the Son, and anybody who tries that he tries that anyone that he wills to show them the Father." Jesus is trying to tell us something about God that we wouldn't know otherwise. And if we just refuse what Jesus says, then we're going to miss one of the major things about God. In fact, if your mind is saying God ought to be ashamed, Jesus is not saying God ought to be ashamed. I praise you for your sovereignty. I thank you for your sovereignty. And Jeff reads that and goes, I don't even know that I'm there yet. I don't like that. I've told the people at Graceview over and over. This is not the God the way I would invent him. Jesus says, stop inventing me. Listen to what I tell you how the Father is. Go with it. This is the authority. Some folks aren't going to come back next week. I know they're not. Very quickly, verse 27, because we've got to get to this invitation. Verse 27. Get a quick drink. In verse 27, Jesus boldly proclaims three things. And I can't preach on these three things for time's sake. Notice what he says All things have been handed over to me by my Father. One. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son Chooses to reveal him. These things are going to get Jesus in hot water. He's going to go around. Having just called the Father Lord of heaven and earth, now Jesus says that he, catch this, Jesus, this man says that he controls all things, not because he stole it from the Father or snuck up when the Father wasn't looking and took control of heaven and earth, not because he had a battle with the Father or watch, not because... I'm gonna go run things how I want in heaven and earth and see how long the father doesn't notice it till eventually he reigns me back in and scolds me. No, the father has entrusted it and literally given all things over to him. And then the second thing he says, he and the father have an exclusive relationship, an exclusive eternal relationship. The third thing he says, that only those who he wills to show the father, they're the only ones who are gonna know the father. Real quick, in your mind, if only in your mind, look at verse 27 again. Jesus says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one, if you were to put a word, what do you think Jesus is saying there? And no one blank knows the Son except the Father. And no one blank knows the Father. Literally what the text is saying here, Jesus is saying, no one really knows the Son Except the Father. No one really knows the Father except the Son. And anyone even the Son wills and chooses for them to know the Father. Why is that? Watch. Because only infinite can truly know infinite. And we're not infinite. When we get to heaven, if you're a Christian, You will know a whole lot more now. In a billion, what we call years, though they'll be gone, a billion years from now, you'll know more than you know when you first get to heaven. But you're never going to know God like Christ knows the Father and know Jesus how the Father knows Christ. Why? Because infinite can only know infinite truly. We're not in that category. But Jesus says, anyone that I will. So what what are you saying, Jesus, that... If you will, then you'll reveal to us that there's a God. He's talking about more than knowing there's a God, more than knowing some facts. Oh, he's big, he's strong, he's wise, and he's moral, and he's a judge, and we're going to be accountable. It's more than that. It's no one has a relationship with the Father except through the Son. Guys, let me give you a hint that's salvation salvation is not just, we think salvation is about escaping hell. That's the byproduct. We think salvation is about getting to go to heaven. That's the byproduct. We think salvation is about living a long, long time. No, salvation is about knowing the Father that is only possible through Jesus. And somewhere out there, if Jeff Gilruth is watching that, he's saying, yes, Jeff, amen. It's about a relationship with the Father through the Son. You can text me later, Jeff. You should, anyway. All right, before we hit the last point, how in the world should we respond to these three verses at least five things there could have been ten let's write them down very very fast pastor jeff what should i do with this well let god be god don't construct him in your mind number one accept god's sovereignty as true accept god's sovereignty in salvation as true number two i'm gonna keep going Rid your heart of intellectual pride and moral pride. Check your heart, ladies and gentlemen. Rid it of moral pride. I'm better than these people. Or intellectual, I'm smart. Stop thinking of that. You say, how will I know if I have ridden my heart of intellectual pride? Here's a clue. When the Word of God is allowed to override your views on things, then you're ridding your heart of intellectual pride. But if you come to passages that very clearly, and you can't explain them away, you just choose to ignore them, then what you're saying is, I like my views. Okay, you're saying you're smarter than what the text is saying, and you're in trouble. Third thing, how should we respond to this? Christians, I mean this. We ought to do this. I've been doing this this week as a result of this text. Thank God for revealing himself to you. That's the natural thing. Lord, thank you for letting me be born where I was and with the Bible and hearing the gospel preached and that your Holy Spirit convinced me on the inside and interpreted these things and that you gave me faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you used your word and the Holy Spirit to turn the light on Jesus. Thank you for these things. Thank you for your sovereignty. Number four isn't easy. I will warn us. How should we respond? Go ahead and praise the Lord for his sovereignty. Jesus did. Just praise Him for His sovereignty, even if it's by faith. But Jeff, I don't really like... Okay, praise Him for who He is, even if by faith. And the obvious fifth one is still this. Tell the gospel to the lost. He say, hold on, Jeff, 25 and 27, if that means what it says, then why do we need to tell the gospel to the lost people? Because God still reveals truth to lost people. You got saved, someone told you, go share the gospel. Don't ever read these texts and say, well, then don't need to share the gospel. No, this is fuel because he does reveal things. To those who are like little children. I mean, yes, not everybody's going to listen. Some will refuse. Some just can't connect it. That's in the Lord's hand. You just be faithful and he will give some people faith. And they'll get saved through our witness very quickly. Number two this morning is verses 28 to 30. There is this rest for the weary in Christ. Rest for the weary in Christ. There, we got out of that. And if you don't hate me after that, and you can find it in yourself to keep coming back, we'd love that. But we don't apologize for what the Bible says. Now verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. I want to give you a hint. I can't say this 100%. That's why my note, I forget how I worded it. I used the word usual. What do you find here? Do you see it? As usual in Scripture, when you find a strong statement about God's sovereignty in salvation, God's control, you have to believe if you're going to go to heaven. You must believe or you will not go to heaven. Underneath that is God is doing something. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. God is always working. You must believe. But even when we have a, such a strong statement, and it's all through the Scripture, strong statement about the sovereignty of God in salvation, I'm telling you, just like in this text, I would say always, but I can't, I can't say I've studied all of them, so I'll use this word. Almost always you will find that text closely connected to a universal call for all to come and put their faith and trust in Christ. Did you catch that? It's a universal Verse twenty-five says what it says. Verse twenty-seven says what it says, and then Jesus says that He is the only way to have a relationship with the Father. V- so come, who all who labor in our heavy laden. all come. Well, what if I'm not? Just come. Don't worry about if you are or you're not or whatever. Do you hear the call? So come. Look at verse twenty-eight. Excuse me. verse number 28 <clears throat> every now and then <clears throat> I strip a gear in the <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> alright it'll take just a second Lord willing and i will pass good thing we can edit this out of the uh, the message Lord willing that goes later on the website all right, what is this coming to Christ? What is this coming to Christ? If you're a Christian and you've heard this taught and preached a certain way, you may be thinking, okay, good, we endured that. Now, Jeff, I've been struggling with some trials and difficulties of life and temptations, and again, they have just wearing me down. Now, talk about how Christ is calling me to come to him, and he's going to take all of that off of me, and it's going to be easy Guys, that's not the interpretation of this text. We can apply that. I think that is an application. Hey, you're weary. Life is beating you down. Peter words it this way. Cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. So yes, that is true. But what this text is talking about, and if you read it over and over, it's talking about salvation rest. Salvation rest. Let's look at the clues. Verse number 28. Come to me, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. After that, he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest. So, in my Bible, I just put like one, two, three, four, five steps here. But let's talk first of all about this number one, number two. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. If I paused and I pointed to you and I said, what do you think is this heavy-laden burden? What is it? Okay, Jeff, if it's not the trials of life for Christians, what is this heavy burden that people, that Jesus is saying, come to me and I'll remove, I'll take that heavy burden and you'll be able to rest. Can I propose to you the heavy burden is sin and the guilt and the weight of sin. And it's tied also to the labor. The labor is something that you need rest from as well. It's something that you want to give to the Lord. So it's tied. The labor is tied to the heavy laden burden. So Jeff, what is the labor? The labor is the effort that people give who are feeling the weight and the burden of sin. It's the effort they give in their life to try to get rid of that sin and its guilt and its penalty, but they do it in their own power. This is key. Jesus says, come to me and rest. Are you heavy laden under sin and its weight and its penalty? And you've been over here laboring and working to try to get out from under that weight and guilt of sin? Then come and bring it to me, and I'll take that off of you, and I'll give you rest In its place. Guys, it's about salvation. Rest for the soul. Rest for your souls at the end of verse number 29. Can I say something real quick? This this invitation is not for everybody. This invitation is only for people who feel the weight of their sin and feel the guilt and the fear of the judgment and the penalty for their sin. This invitation is only for those who, because of that, have put systems in their life of trying to work and earn some forgiveness from God and appease God or the gods because they know they're sinful. If you have never felt the burden and the weight of your sin, then you're never going to feel the urgency to come to Christ, and you will not come to Christ. His invitation is, are you tired of trying to earn your way to heaven, but you're still feeling the burden and the the guilt and the weight of sin? Come to me. And I'll give you rest. Who can come? All who are heavy laden and labor. In Jesus' day, who's he talking to? He's talking to Jews. Follow this. I'm going to put Jews of that day in two categories. There were some who thought they have a relationship with God because they're born Jewish. Hey, I have Abraham's blood in me. I'm on my way to heaven no matter what. Well, we know what Jesus and John the Baptist had to say to them, That will not be enough. Here, he, this is important. He's talking about a group of Jews who, in his day, if you were to ask them and I asked a couple just the other day, the other night in my office, they're here this morning, they'll, they'll remember this, I ask what we've been trained to ask, ask people. What do you think it takes to have a relationship with God? If you would have asked Jews in Jesus' day, so what do you think it takes to have a relationship with God? Some would say, I'm born Jewish, I'm good. Others would say, wow, you've got to live up to the demands of the Old Testament. You've got to live up to the, the demands of the 613 commandments. And all of our teachers and rabbis and the elders all through the years, they put all their additions onto it. And if we want a relationship with God, we have to live up to that. You say, Jeff, like what? What is Christ offering rest from? It'd be a hundred more things than this. But here, guys, we're not Jewish, and so we won't appreciate this list. Christ is saying, come to me, and I'll give you rest from the impossible demands of the dietary laws. Uh, you can't eat that. You can't eat that. You can't eat that at this time, prepared this way, cooked that way. No, you didn't prepare it, right? Now you can't eat it. And they constantly live under this. Hand washings. Not about cleanliness, about ceremonial hand washings. in this way, and that way, and back this way, before you do something. Counting your steps at Friday night, from Friday night sundown until Saturday night sundown. So that you don't break the Sabbath. And weighing things and planning, what can I actually pick up tomorrow on Saturday? i got to get everything ready on Friday so that I don't do anything more than what the elders and the rabbis have told us. Because if it weighs more than this, then we're breaking the Sabbath. And Jesus says, come to me, and you won't have to try to do all those things to earn your way to heaven. Don't mix this, this burden. Don't mix your seeds when you're planting. Don't mix your fabrics when you're making clothes. Most of us are sinning according to the Old Testament. Very detailed tithes, tithes of herbs. This nine for me, one for the Lord. Tithes of the flock, tithes of grains, tithes of fruit, tithes of money. The firstborn in your family, in your house, offerings for them. The firstborn in the flock, firstborn in the herd. Offerings for them. Endless sacrifices. And guys, that's just the ceremonial law. I haven't even touched on all of the moral, the immoral actions and all the immoral thoughts. And Jesus says, are you tired of trying to earn your way to heaven? Then come to me and rest. What you're doing will never work. Jesus offers rest from our futile attempts to earn our way to heaven. Would you write this down? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. The quest for salvation ends at Jesus, resting in Jesus. Are you looking for salvation? Christ is saying stop trying to work for it and be good enough and not doing things and doing certain things and meeting everybody else's expectation and even those all around the world who are not Jewish. Most everybody has a list in their own mind to appease whatever God or gods that they have in their mind that is mad at them about their sin. All you got to do guys is go around Anderson, start asking, what do you think it takes to have a relationship with God? Let them answer and after they've said it, ask them again, anything else? Okay, anything else and anything else and they'll tell you their theology. These are things that are going, well, you got to get baptized, you got to go to church you got to read your Bible and you got to give money and you got to be a member and you got to wear this and you can't wear that and you can't use that oh really that's what you have to have a relationship with God yeah Jesus says come to him and rest and stop trying to work your way to heaven rest rest what Christ is saying is watch here's what Jesus says I've lived a sinless life I am perfect I am the son of God And he's going to die on a cross for all of your sins. And that's sufficient to pay for all of your sins. And if you'll have confidence in that, if you'll rest in that, trust in that, and I mean rely on that. Don't rely on anything else. He says, come to me. The quest for salvation stops at him. But then we got this verse 29. What about that, Jeff? Look at verse 29. Having said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Oh, so I guess we're working our way to heaven. It's just Jesus' way that we're working our No. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. So what is that? Guys, very quickly. This yoke had potentially three meanings. Literally, they would use a phrase in that day. Hey, if you take someone's yoke on you, you are becoming their disciple. And that is pointed at in this text. Come to me, get rest, and then you'll become my disciple. And you'll learn of me. But there's also another use of yoke. And it was a piece of wood that a person would put upon themselves. And it would be fitted for them so they could go through life balanced. So that their burden, that what they're carrying is evenly balanced. And it's not such a heavy burden. That could come into play. But there's also this other kind of yoke that we know that there would be two animals, typically two cows, two oxen that would be put into a a yoke together to do work. To do work. Come to me, rest, then take this yoke. So is Jesus saying, come to him and kind of all at the same time, get the rest of salvation while taking on the new yoke that we're going to finalize our own salvation through taking this yoke. Guys, listen, this is, this is super important. The order, I want you to write the order of the text. Go home and study it. I think there are at least four. We could have made a fifth one, but I kind of combined the fourth, the third, and the fourth together. Write this down. Here's the order. The word come. There's coming to Christ. Secondly, rest. Note the order. Come to Christ. Rest. Number three, yoke. Come, rest, yoke. In that yoke is the learning. Be my disciple and learn from me. Get in my yoke with me. Yes, there's work to be done, but what would be the other? It's a repeat word. What would be the fourth blank? Come to Christ and rest. Take his yoke and what? Rest again. I think we could take a line after one and two, make one and two in essence the same thing. And there's a line and there's salvation and there's a line and then there's after salvation where we're going to take his yoke and rest. So Jeff, what's the point? I'm going to run out of time to explain this. i just got to get it because I want to finish a certain way this morning. So just write this down. Resting in Jesus is not about lawlessness or laziness. So here we come to Christ we get saved we trust him as our savior then you take his yoke upon you you become his disciple and I know that's a fine line and you enter the yoke and the Lord is saying you're going to enter the yoke with me resting in Jesus is not about lawlessness no you're becoming his disciple well now that I'm a Christian it doesn't matter what I think or do yes it does salvation is already settled but now it does matter you're a disciple of Christ learn of him follow him live like him And also, resting in Jesus is not about laziness. It's not about lawlessness. It's not about laziness. We're entering the yoke. Quick. There is holiness to be lived. And there is work to be done. What's the next word? After salvation. There's holiness to be lived. That's what this yoke is about. Yes, there's holiness to be lived, and there's work to be done after salvation. After salvation. Guys, our work, Christians, I'm talking to Christians now, our work for Christ and our holiness for Christ flow by resting assured that my holiness, guys, you can only have holiness for Christ when it is coming from a position of I am resting safe and secure, already saved. My holiness is not factoring into my salvation. My salvation is not depending on my holiness. Now you can actually have a life of holiness. Our work for Christ can only truly be done work for Christ when it is not attached to our salvation. My salvation is not attached to my work for Christ. Now I'm actually free to truly do work for Christ. Uh, before that, I'm working for me. It's because it's when we rely on Jesus' spirit in us. God, Here, here it is. Jesus' command is to love the Lord our God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Here's the Christian life, guys. After you're saved, you've come to Christ. You're resting in His work. You're saved. At that point, it's, Lord, would you, Holy Spirit, help me to love you, Father, and to love my brothers and sisters in Christ. When you do that, you will have holiness, and you will do work for the Lord Jesus Christ. But it is after salvation. Rest. I want to read the lyrics of a song, and most of us are familiar with this song. It came out in 2007. It's sung by a group called Casting Crowns. I'm afraid that either watching online or sitting here this morning, there are some folks who are Christians. By the way, this song is for Christians. These lyrics are for Christians. And I'm afraid there's a lot of Christians who live in this condition, and the Lord does not want us to live in this condition But it's very honest and forthcoming and it's very well written because, unfortunately, I've lived there before. In fact, full disclosure, last Sunday morning, I was living in some of this just a week ago. The song is called East to West. Listen to the lyrics. This is for Christians. Here I am, Lord, and I'm drowning in your sea of forgetfulness. Hey, what's in the sea of forgetfulness? What's in it? Our sin. This symbolic sea of forgetfulness is where God chooses. He doesn't think. He doesn't contemplate. He's unaware of what's been put in there. It is gone, but the author says, Here I am, Lord, and I'm drowning in your sea of forgetfulness. The chains of yesterday surround me. I yearn for peace and rest. I don't want to end up where you found me. It echoes in my mind, keeps me awake tonight. Key words here. I know you've cast my sin as far as the east is from the west. Notice it's not the Lord didn't say I put your sins as far as the north from the south. You go north far enough, you're going to start be going south. They do meet. East and west never meet. The author says, I know you've cast my sin as far as the east is from the west. And I stand before you. I know I stand before you now as though I've never sinned. But today, I feel like... I'm just one mistake away from you leaving me this way. Jesus, can you show me just how far the east is from the west? Because I can't bear to to see the man I've been rising up in me again. In the arms of your mercy I find rest. You know just how far the east is from the west, from one scarred hand to the other. He confesses. I start the day the war begins, endless reminding of my sin. And time and time again, your truth is drowned out by the storm I'm in. Today, I feel like I'm just one mistake away from you leaving me this way. Jesus, can you show me just how far the east is from the west? Because I can't bear to see the man I've been rising up in me again. In the arms of your mercy I find rest. You know just how far the east is from the west, from one scarred hand to the other. Note the key word here. I know you've washed me white, turned my darkness into light. I need your peace to get me through, to get me through this night. I can't live by what I feel, but by the truth that your word reveals. And I'm not holding on to you. You're holding on to me. You're holding on to me. Yet, Jesus, you know just how far the east is from the west. I don't have to see the man I've been rising up in me again. In the arms of your mercy, I find rest. You know just how far the east is from the west, from one scarred hand to the other. There's a Christian sitting here right now, and you're like, if you only knew what I did this past week, and I am so just guilt-ridden. Have you talked to the Lord about it? I got to remind myself. I get that way. Lord, here it is. And I know I talked to you about this three days ago, and here I am again. Keep Our relationship with God can never change. You never lose your salvation. But boy, our fellowship sure gets stuffy and stale and seems stagnant and totally cut off. When sin comes, well, then confess it. He's faithful and just to forgive us. I close with this. I close with this. That was for Christians, and now I go back to this. Listen, what about somebody that's not a Christian? Then you must come to Christ. Stop trying to earn your way to heaven. But listen, verse 25, verse 27, here's what it means. You online, you here this morning, you can only come to, you have to come to Christ, you have to hear him, you have to believe, but you can only come to him when he invites you. And when he calls you, you know he's calling you when you hear it personally. I read this years ago, and I share it this morning and then, We'll close our eyes in just a moment. Gary Peterson writes the following. See if this gets the point across. But Jeff, what about the sovereignty of God? in it? He writes, back when the telegraph was the fastest means of long-distance communication, there was a story, perhaps apocryphal, about a young man who applied for a job as a Morse code operator. This is a while back, right? Years ago. Answering an ad in the newspaper, he went to the address that was listed. When he arrived, he entered a large, noisy office. In the background, a telegraph clacked away. A sign on the receptionist's counter instructed job applicants fill out the form and wait until they were summoned to the inner office. The young man completed his form and sat down with seven other waiting applicants. After a few minutes, the young man stood up crossed the room to the door of the inner office and walked right in. Naturally, the other applicants perked up, wondering what was going on. Why had this man been so bold? They muttered among themselves, they hadn't heard any summons yet. They took more than a little satisfaction in assuming the young man who went into the office would be reprimanded for his presumption and disqualified for the job. But within a few minutes, the young man emerged from the inner office, escorted by the interviewer, who announced to the other applicants, Gentlemen, thank you very much for coming. But the job has been filled by this young man. The other applicants began grumbling to each other. And then one spoke up saying, Hey, wait wait, a minute. I don't understand. He was the last one to come in. We never even got a chance to be interviewed. Yeah, he got the job. That's not fair. The employer responded, I'm sorry, but all the time you've been sitting here, the telegraph has been ticking out the following message in Morse code. Quote, If you understand this message, then come right in The job is yours. The interviewer said, none of you heard it or understood it. This young man did. So the job is his. Every person in here has heard, even if as if clacking in the background, every person in here and every person who's watching this online, even though this was not a purely salvation message, You've heard half of this message is about how to go to heaven. Every person in here has heard the gospel this morning. But the only ones who will go to heaven are those who at some point in their life really hear the gospel. And like a child really believes what God says. And this is the key. He's talking to me. For me, that was nine years old. At age nine. I'd heard it before. Before. I heard it that Monday night and Tuesday night. But on that Wednesday night, Jeff, I'm talking to you. Jeff, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I have, yes, you have. Jeff, if you'll confess your sins, I'm faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. The blood of Jesus Christ, my son, cleanses of all sin. Jeff, I so love the world that I gave my only begotten son, that if you will believe in him, you will not perish, but you will have everlasting life. Jeff, if you will call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever heard? Jeff? As many as receive my son, to them I give the power and authority to become the sons of God. To them who believe on his name. Catch that word. Will you receive my salvation? Here's how it happens. Everybody hears it. God says, I'll give you salvation for free. You'll never have to work for it ever again. You will rest. I give it away. Will you take it? Have you ever had a time in your life where your soul and spirit, not your hands, your soul and spirit says, I take it right now, Lord I confess my sins. I hear, you are talking to me today. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Is anybody online? Is anybody in this building right now this morning? Hey, we can can dive in and get angry and bitter and upset and emotional about what verse 25 and verse 27 teach. Guys, somebody needs to focus on verse 28. Jesus says, come unto me. All who labor and are heavy laden. Are you tired of trying to work your way to heaven? You're never going to be good enough. Just let the quest for salvation stop at resting in Jesus. If even one person this morning, you say, do I need to come up and shake your hand and talk to you? Nope. Right now, like right now, you heard. I just quoted several verses in a little different format, in a personal tone to you and how it was to me god says he loved the world and he gave his son and he died on a cross so that if you will believe in him if you'll trust his death in your place guys listen god promises he promises he's put himself out there i'll save you jesus says i'll save you i'm good enough my death was enough will you let me give you salvation but you have to take him as lord call on the lord in your soul and spirit it's not about your vocal cords are you like a child do it right now. I don't even have to tell you specific. Ultimately, confess your sins to God. Don't talk to me. Just talk to God. Lord. Acknowledge your sin to Him. And if you've heard Him call you today, then let Him know, Lord, I'll take Jesus as my Savior and I take your salvation. And I give you my life and I receive you as my Lord. Why don't you do that on your own right now? Christian, I'm going to pray right here in a moment. I just wonder, is there even one you're just like, man, I got saved, but I'm losing some of my rest. I've let some sin or temptation just steal my joy. I'm walking around under a load of guilt. Then... Take advantage of the call of Christ. Rehearse that in your mind. Rehearse afresh 1 John 1, 9. And let the Lord restore that fellowship. Christians, accept the sovereignty of God. Praise Him for His sovereignty. Right now, right now, Christians, I'm talking to you. Thank God for revealing Himself to you. And then let the Lord this week, Lord, this week, let me share the gospel with someone. Father this morning as we close this service, Lord, I knew this was going to be an even longer message than normal, very heavy. You're working even when we don't feel it and even when we don't see it, and I'm relying upon that today. Lord, what a full passage. God, I submit to you. You are the Lord of heaven and earth, and you've handed that over and entrusted that to Jesus. And he is Lord of heaven and earth. And you're sovereign and gracious at the same time. Thank you for revealing yourself to me at age nine. And letting me learn of you these last 41 years. Lord, I pray that you'll bring holiness in your work. Not to help me be saved, but Lord, flowing from that salvation. And let all of my brothers and sisters in Christ experience that same light burden and joy of walking and serving with you. While we have time, Lord, let us be found faithful. Father, Lord, just in closing, if someone trusted you as Savior, would you give them courage to make that known to someone, to make that public, to not keep it a secret? We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. Heavy, heavy text today, I understand. It went long, 1223, so have a wonderful Sunday.